All right. Hello, listeners. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. We are here. We have a special guest with us, but I also have my business partner, Michelle, with me. We are in a fantastic series around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and really how you as a business um, can focus on diversifying your workforce or to identifying and taking a look at diversity, but also why is it important in an organization? Why is it critical? There's a lot of times in an organization where you have to stop and assess. And it's so interesting right now because over the last several months, we've seen so many organizations hire a diversity, equity, and inclusion leader, or have some openings and things going on, right? So they're doing some soul searching. But for us to talk about that, we have to start with the fundamentals and the foundation and get to where we want to go from a business perspective and as an individual contributor within an organization. What do you do? How do you have those dialogues, even if you're not necessarily the one leading in the business? So today we have Nikki Lerner with us. Hi, Nikki. Welcome. Hello. So glad to be with you and all of your listeners today. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself before we kind of dive into this awesome, gosh, hot topic. Yeah, you got it. Hi, everybody. I'm Nikki Lerner. I'm a culture coach. And my work is to help organizations and businesses move from monocultural to healthy multicultural in their work and in their life. So usually I come in and help people try to determine what it is they're trying to do uh, with regards to culture work. My goal, even beyond business, uh, just in community life in general as well, is to lead a proactive movement towards understanding and unity when it comes to culture and come from. So everything that I got going on uh, pretty much fits into that construct. That's fantastic. So we were talking a little bit before this and you started going down, you called it a rabbit hole, but I actually want to visit where we started there a little bit because uh, having come from HR, both Marie and I, you know, we see all of the, the diversity requirements, right? And we've come from Fortune 500 companies where we're looking at some pretty diverse numbers, right? But it's more than just diversity. And you started talking about that why is diversity, equity, and inclusion so critical for an organization's success? Well, it's important because what we want to try to do in business and organizational life is we want to try to create an opportunity for as many different kinds of people to feel like they are home during the time that they work within the organization. Uh, some of the challenge with diversity, equity, and inclusion work is, is just that, the title of it. It has be, begun to uh, mean compliance. Uh, one more thing that we check off the list uh, to make sure we're good as a company, where actually there's a, there's a greater opportunity for it to become broader and deeper than just, you know, hey, we need a, we need a Chinese guy this month. You know, I mean... <laughs> You know, that if you want to call it diver diversity, equity, inclusion, there you go. Like, check it off. Yeah. You know, our, our new guy, Bob, is now in the organization. But the reality is, is that the biggest challenge we have in business and organizational life is to define what does that mean? What does diversity, equity, and inclusion mean for our organization, for our 
business. I'm not convinced, quite frankly, that as a country, uh, even in, in work life, that we have defined it. It's been given to us. The title has been given to us in our sectors, but we haven't really defined it or connected it to any sort of mission, vision, or values in our company. And so then what happens is, you know, usually a company will react and say, the world's crazy. The first thing we need to do is hire a diversity officer or a task force, which, you know, that's better than doing nothing. But what usually happens is if if a corporation has been historically monocultural and then they hire that one person, usually a person from the non-majority culture, a minority group, to head that office up or that initiative up, well, then what happens is the leaders then put that on that person and say, hey, fix it. And then they just continue on business as usual uh, with everything, hoping that this one person will fix it all or this one office will fix it all. And some of the work that I'm doing is I'm calling leaders to think more holistically about the uh, inclusion of as many kinds of diverse people as possible. Um, you know, it's not just about one people group or one ethnic group. It's not, it's not about that. It's about how do we make room? I love that, that phrase. How do we make room for as many different kinds of people and perspectives as possible in the workforce? Okay, so you should know that it's probably going on a t-shirt. We are going to start a t-shirt line with really good words. Um, and I like that too. How do we make room? It's interesting. <laughs> You're going to be on it. We're going to send it to you. I struggle. Maria, I know she gets so frustrated with me because I'll sigh sometimes um, because I do know that I have been provided privileges in my life because of the color of my skin, right? Doors have been opened that might not have been open for other people. And I recognize that. But I also recognize that inclusion piece. And I struggle in my mind. And this, I think for me, this is where what you said earlier about 100 versus 400. Like, I'm at this place where I'm like, I don't understand why people don't get how valuable diverse experience is. And like you said, it's not just ethnicity. It is some of us went to a trade school. Some of us never went to school. Some of us went to Ivy League schools. Some of us grew up in the North, some in the South, all of those elements. And I just, I struggle with why that is so hard to grasp. Help me to come back down to 100 so I can talk to people. What do I do? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, one of the things we we were talking about is our worlds as human beings are created by our lived experiences. And for people who have had a lived experience of a culturally diverse world, you're able to see the world very differently than if you have only spent time with either growing up as a child or even now in your adult life, if you've only spent time with your own people group, it's going to color the way that you potentially see the world. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't hold your own opinions and ideas about the world. It's not, it's not about saying, you know, judging those things. But we have to understand that all of us, particularly when we show up to work, we are all bringing our own experiences, lived experiences into the workplace. So, you know, someone like me 
who has had a ridiculously diverse life and getting more diverse, hopefully, you know, I, I'm going to see the world very differently than, than a good friend of mine who grew up in, just for sake of conversation, a wo- mostly white American context. And so then if you've only been in one kind of context, you only have enough information to converse around what you know. So when we were talking about 100 and 400 before, just for your listeners, I was saying, we're trying to have a conversation right now in the country, but we don't respect the fact that we are at different places along the continuum. There are some of us who are at a 100 level understanding based on our lived experiences. And then there are others of us who are, let's call it a 400 level learning and experience based on our lived experiences. But what happens is when we want to talk about culture and ethnicity, we treat each other like we're at the same place on the continuum and we're not. So usually 400 level people are very frustrated with 100 level people and vice versa. The 100 level people feel like, how come I can never talk about this without people calling me a racist or, you know, whatever. But if we could respect the fact that we're not having the same conversation. I mean, we don't even agree upon the meanings of certain words. So I heard this beautiful quote. I can't remember who said it, Michelle, but, I, but I reminded, I'm reminded as a coach all the time is that someone once said, the best teachers are the people that remember what it feels like to not know. And if you're a person that really wants to, uh, if you've been living at a 400 level and you really want to get with your friends who are 100 to help them, try to get into their space and remember what it feels like not to know. And then you start to see people in your world more like a teacher and a coach uh, than you do is just kind of, you know, oh, why don't you get that? And you're still going to have those people that are just like, oh, right? But at least you have an opportunity at that point then to engage as much as you can. I love that. I love that quote a lot. I think it's an interesting topic you mentioned, Nikki, because I think when it comes to like you think commonalities or common sense, right, then there's individuals when you're having a conversation, you're just assuming everyone's on the same level of understanding and it's hard for you to differentiate. It's almost like, well, you're an adult, you know, the alphabet. Well, that's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, I think what you mentioned sparks, you know, great attention is it's when almost you're talking to like a younger child, right, who's learning and growing and you're trying to explain to them like in layman's terms how to create a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because they've never picked up a knife and they've never untwisted a twist tie from the bag. And I think that's where you you have to come back to the basics or the fundamentals in some instances, but you all, you know, and then, you know, from, from a leadership or training perspective comes back to situational leadership, right? You're not going to, you know, speak to someone who's not at that readiness level yet. You're going to assess the readiness level, have the dialogue and speak at that dialogue and start from there. And it becomes a little bit challenging to individuals because they don't stop to pause and assess that information first. Yes. And let me share, Maria, this is one of the the issues connected to what I was was mentioning about definition. This is why it's so important for our individual work and, and businesses and organizational life 
to define what do we mean when we say certain things? Because everything that you just mentioned, remember, like, as I said, we bring, as individuals, we bring all of that to work. I explained it and work with my clients. This is different than we're going to shift our new, you know, our cloud-based system. So everybody learn the new cloud-based system. You know, I mean, that's not personal, right? I mean, you may not like it, <laughs> you know, you may not like it. You may be like, oh, this is going to, you know, kill my work, but it's not personal. Anytime we are dealing with culture as it relates to ethnicity, a sexual orientation, physical ability, no matter what it is, gender, anything, we are messing with people's personal lives <laughs> and how they grew up. And so that's very important for an organization then to know what is it we're asking people to do once they step foot into work, into the context of work. How will we operate when it comes to uh, being a multicultural organization? Not just what we would term in our training multicolored, but multicultural. You know, how, how do we move from not just having a bunch of different kinds of people in our, our work environment, but we still have, you know, monocultural leadership and thought, right? That's a more of a, you know, you have lots of colors, <laughs> but you don't see them anywhere, right? How do we move from that to the empowerment of as many different kinds of people as possible? See, you've been doing a lot of work around this for the past uh, year to 18 months, where do you recommend that organizations get started? Let's say we are in that place of um, monocultural where the conversation hasn't been had at all. How do they get started? My recommendation would be that the senior leaders at every organization need to bring in a coach, just like we would value any kind of executive coaching. There needs to be a recognition that senior leaders don't know how to handle this particular problem. And so that's, that's why this is the work that I do. You need somebody to come in and to create a safe learning environment for your senior leaner, leaders and owners first, so that they're ahead of the employee population as much as they can in setting mission, vision, values. Most leaders that I work with, the presidents, the CEOs, the owners, they need someone from a different culture group <laughs> to talk to them about some of these issues in a safe environment, to be able to poke, to be able to ask questions. That's the place to start. Unfortunately, what is happening is leaders are starting too broad. Leaders are starting with we need to train our employee population. And you can't start that way. You have to start with the decision-making bodies of every single organization that you have. Now, again, particularly if you've never explored this topic before as an organization, that's where you need to start. Because to start all of a sudden, you know, deciding our company is going to be for social justice when, you know, you've never, ever thought about that in your life, you know, as an organization, um, you can make a lot of really bad mistakes if you're trying to do it on your own. Some mistakes that you may not be willing to or may not be able to recover from, particularly when it comes to um, 
making statements, Michelle, which I know right now, well, at this time we're recording the podcast, there's been a need to make statements because of what has happened at the U.S. Capitol. But even that, if you don't have a coach, someone who's ahead of you in the area of culture as it relates to ethnicity, you can really stick your foot in your mouth as an owner or leave things out. I'm dealing with a client right now that uh, rushed, rushed to put out a statement, have not um, fully embraced some of the recommendations for diversity, and now have to talk about culture and have tried to do it on their own and have made another blunder. Uh, <laughs> and those things are, 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 can be frustrating. So in order to remove as much as you can that potential, Bring in somebody to coach your leaders, start there, and then try to figure out what are we trying to do as an organization. Yeah, it's interesting because from an HR perspective throughout my tenure uh, and experience supporting businesses, you see there's instances where there is, you know, racial comment made or something that's inappropriate within the organization. And then obviously it becomes an investigation and people look into it, right? And the immediate response is, let's throw training at it. Let's train our team members to not do this. And the, I think the most common training is sensitivity training, sensitivity training. Like, let's just throw that at our team members. But I think you're right. You know, it comes from top down and throwing training at it or just leveraging your comms department it's not always the right approach, especially with individuals that don't have experience with this. And if your comms department's, you know, kind of thoughtful in that approach, they would actually think through that as opposed to just throwing out a PR statement or whatever together for you. That may have happened in this instance that you're describing. So I think, again, like we always reiterate on this podcast, but top down is where it has to start. And you really need to get the resources that you need to be able to support and execute moving forward and down the chain. And you shouldn't you shouldn't just bring in the resource if you're not going to actually take the time to absorb it and want to actually do something with it. Well, let me let me also share, Maria, I love what you're saying here, because there there are a couple of things that are going on when things like this happen. The first thing is, is that if if your comms department doesn't have any authority, then what happens is the monocultural senior leadership ends up being the bottleneck. So like you can you tell your people, hey, you know, put a statement together. But by the time it gets to up the chain to a monocultural group of people who are going to look at something and say, oh, no, 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 we can't say that. Oh, no, 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 we can't say that because there's nobody there for perspective. Then, I mean, your, your department heads and people you've, smart people you've hired don't have any authority to do what needs to be done in the comms department. The second thing, and this is what leaders really have to understand, particularly HR leaders, is throwing the training at it is, I mean, it's well-meaning. It really is. I mean, again, at least it's something, right? Some people don't even get that. However, in that regard, if being and embodying a multicultural or diverse, equitable organization is not in the company's DNA and mission, vision, values. It will not last. It will be an event. You might as well just call it diversity training month, like we call everything else. Like we talked earlier, right? Like, oh, it's Hispanic, Hispanic Heritage Month. Let's have some, 
you know, let's have some paella and tacos. Like, great, <laughs> we were inclusive, you know? Like, that's an event. But the events have to be connected to something deeper at the root of the organization. And to keep throwing training and having it be an event. And like we talked about earlier, it's only in response when something awful happens. So now you've even trained people in the majority culture of how to deal with these sorts of situations. And then what you've then reaffirmed with the non-majority folks in your company is that we're really only going to pay attention to you when something happens. Like we're going to wait. We're going to wait until there's your boss said something racist that they didn't know um, or you were offended by something. And then we're going to think about you with our culture. But other than that, we're not going to think about it. What needs to happen in organizational life is that culture, the diverse culture needs to be normalized. Because here's the thing, here, here's the thing, and, and I really want particularly listeners that are in the majority culture to understand, if you don't know this, if you not, don't have a diverse world, you don't have access to a lot of different kinds of people, if you are in the majority culture in our country right now, which is white American, your culture is a required course for everybody else in the country who is not white. Every other culture is an elective if you are part of the majority culture in the United States. Now, the hardest part about receiving what I just said is most white American people do not see themselves as an ethnicity or a people group or a culture group. (laughs) But if you're listening and you never thought about that before, just know you are a people group. (laughs) Everybody who's, who's not part of your people group knows that you are a people group and sees you as a culture. But oftentimes when you're part of the majority, what you call, what you call normal, we call cultural. And that's very important to know. (laughs) So the normalization of diverse culture is really what we're after. I'm floored. I'm pausing because I had never thought about it that way. Ever. Marie, you may have to take the next question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that. It's interesting because, you know, I'm Hispanic and Greek. So, you know, I have a mixture of culture as well. And I have been in that realm of, I lived in white America for quite a long time, small town USA, right? And um, I've had an impact to me from a racial perspective. People spit on me. I had to change schools, things like that, right? And so it's always for me kind of been that vision of what Michelle hasn't seen um, from a cultural perspective. And I, I think it's important to know and to listen to, you know, one another's stories. When the George Floyd situation happened, I, I had, you know, I, I held the meeting for anyone that wanted to join in the area I supported from an HR perspective. And, you know, we did eight minutes and 46 seconds of silence um, at the beginning. And, you know, we, we then moved forward to talk through and it, it was very eye opening. And I, was excited to see that there were our white American senior leaders on the call wanting to listen, to understand, to learn, and to ask questions. It's good when you see that perspective. And so, you know, I, I know we're we're getting ready to close out here, Nikki, but you know, 
What are the top things? I know we, we've been talking about it, but just to recap and maybe add some additional insights here. What are the top things you want listeners and business leaders to take away from today that they can start making movement on right now? It, whether it's a business leader or, or a leader within an organization or even individual contributors, how can someone start? If today is day one, how do we move this needle forward? Excellent question. And it's simpler than you think. That's what I want your listeners to know. The first thing is this. This is the first practice. I'm going to say this as a practice because this is something you do every day. Look at your world. Look at the people that come to your house for dinner. The kind of neighborhood you, you live in. The places where you grocery shop. Um, the kinds of conversations you are having. And ask the question, who's missing? That's the first place to start because what we can do is be intentional about placing ourselves within proximity of people that are not like us. And so if we live in a monocultural world, um, in our personal worlds, maybe you go to a new neighborhood and shop this week. Just try it. You know, maybe you decide to take your clothes to a different dry cleaner. Maybe you decide to go have dinner out at a restaurant where there are people that are different than your culture. And you do it intentionally so that you can just be around people that are different than you. All of us can do that. We all have access to do that. So that's the first thing. The reason I say start there is because we can't see any change in our business or in our organizational life if we're not living it as people. So then, if from a business standpoint, start asking yourself the question, and maybe you need to do this with your team as well. What kind of diverse organization do we want to be? What do we want to see? You know, when we hit our greatest potential and we feel like, yeah, we're a diverse organization, and that's how you feel about it, not like, oh, we're diverse, or, you know, when you feel like we did it, you know, or like we're doing it. What do you see? And if you can't figure it out, ask for help. That's fantastic. You know, there's really not much more to say after that to our listeners. So, you know, this series is going to be a fantastic series. We're not just talking about diversity of color. We're talking about diversity of thought. We're taking a look. I think we have a session supporting, you know, taking a look at the different levels of diversity within a business and uh, within discussions that we should be having. So, Nikki, it was fantastic to have you today. Thanks so much for joining me. We hope to have you back if you're interested in talking about any more topics with us. It was fantastic. And I hope as listeners, you got as much out of this as we did. Thanks so much. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Uh, absolutely. 